Good morning all on this wonderful Sunday morning to all those who are streaming online. The title of my lesson today is Life and Doctrine. Thank you for that scripture reading, Gerald. All right, so that was a passage we read, and we're introduced to this concept of life and doctrine. I don't know if you call it a concept, if you like, or, or a phrase, um, and it's got two components to it, life and doctrine. And together, it's, it's kind of like a concept. Um, so this particular concept, what is meant by it, and what is meant by... Um, using these words in this order, or these words and pairing them together. There's no other scripture in the New Testament by any other writer or by Paul where this phrase or concept is used in this way, life and doctrine. And this is from the uh, NIV version that we have this. So what does this combination of words mean? Or what does it mean to us, what do you think of when you think of life and doctrine? What is Paul trying to say to Timothy here when he talks about life and doctrine? Before we do that, before we have a look at these words, this phrase, what it means, what the components mean, I want to have a look at the immediate context in which these words are used. So, in verse 16, that's the verse I'm going to primarily focus on today, but it's the immediate context for this concept of life and doctrine. Now, it talks there about watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, in the particular NIV translation, they've gone and split the verb from the adverb, but it's all one word really in Greek. Epexe is what is meant by watch closely. So, what does this word epexe mean? What, what is it? What is um, Paul trying to convey here when he talks about this word in relation to life and doctrine? Why, how do you watch it closely? What is meant by this? Now, Acts 3 verse 5 um, also uses this word, and it gives us a bit of an idea as to what is meant by the meaning of this word. It can be used in different contexts, but each shed light to the richer meaning of the word. Now, in Acts chapter 3 verse 5, uh, is the account of Peter and John as they were going into the temple. This is in the early uh, times, in Acts chapter 3, when, when the gospel was initially being spread. And they came across a lame man that was in the, the, the entrance, near the entrance of the temple. And when Paul, or when Peter, addressed this man, uh, this man did what we call, he gave focus to or watched closely or paid attention to uh, Peter and John because, well, he thought, well, they're going to give me something, right? Uh, I'm going to get something in return here. They've put this focus on me, and so now I'm going to listen to what they say just in case they've got something to offer me. So it's giving this kind of real, um, almost desperate attention, if you like, to, um, to, to Peter and John and what they possibly could be giving him. So that's the context in which this word is used in Acts. 
In Acts chapter 19, verse 22, it's used in a different, con different kind of context. It's used to indicate when you dwell somewhere. So if you go and you live here for a month or, or over there, just like Paul did when he traveled around, he would live in a particular city for a particular time. And so they use this exact word to talk about dwelling somewhere. Now, if you put those two together, uh, perhaps what you get is when you dwell on a point, when you focus on something, you give something some kind of emphasis and you dwell on it in the sense of you almost camp there, if you like. So this is the idea conveyed behind it. It's translated fairly accurately when it talks about watch closely. So this is the idea that Paul is trying to promote to Timothy about life and doctrine. It's something you need to watch closely. Let's have a look at a couple of other elements within this. Uh, same verse. It talks there in the middle part of that verse about persevere in them. Okay, the Greek word here is epimene, and it well, conveys pretty much the way it's translated here. Um, persevere. So it conveys the idea of uh, persistence. Not doing something on a whim or trying it a little bit here and then not pursuing it any further. It's a dedicated kind of focus and persistence to something. So in this particular case, to life and doctrine, there is a focus that Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to have in this idea of a persistent focus. So I would actually say that if you look at some of the contexts in which this word is used, it kind of like conveys the idea of a stubbornness, almost to the point of a stubbornness if you like. So in your persistence, you would, there's, there's this element of stubbornness. John chapter 8 verse 7 shows this word in a very wonderful way, very appropriate way, if you like. So this is now, uh, the context behind this is we're talking about how um, Jesus was often questioned by the Jewish leaders, right? And so they would have perhaps, uh, the night before they would have got together and they would have said, right, um, we're going to question Jesus tomorrow. We're going to have a look and see uh, whether we can catch him out. We're going to see whether we can word things in such a way, in a, in a tricky way, just to catch him. And so this kind of perseverance is what you would have if you were desperate. Now remember, the Jewish leaders were desperate to pin something on Jesus, to show him as guilty, to show him as being a fraud, to expose him. And so they had these all questions lined up for him, and they were going to persist in achieving their goal, and that was to make him look like a fool. And that was the idea behind it. So this is the kind of persistence that we're talking about. Real stubbornness behind it, if you like, in this persistence. So it also conveys the idea of you recognize that there is an importance in what you're doing, and that's why you're going about and persisting in this particular way. It was an important thing that the longer Jesus stayed alive, the more dangerous he became. So the more important it was for them to expose him and to get rid of him, basically. So there's importance conveyed behind 
this idea of watching your life and your doctrines. What else is there in the immediate context? I want to focus in on the criticality. And yes, I had a look in the dictionary, and it is a word. It does exist. Criticality is also shown here in the immediate context. The Greek word for save means so says. All right, we all know what save means. It means the same thing in any language, I would imagine. Um, but when it talks about saving yourself, it's an indication of how crucial this is, how critical this is. Uh, you're doing something that, um, where your very life depends on it. And it's important, and it's not only important, it's critical. And so Paul wants to convey this idea that this concept of life and doctrine is critical, and this is why he's mentioning it. Your very life depends on it. But of course, when we think of the technicalities behind it, right, when we talk about saving ourselves, in reality, we don't have the ability to save ourselves, right, or save others, do we? Um, that right lies with God. But we have the ability to be part of that process of salvation. And so this is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy here, how important this is, how critical this is, because your life, your spiritual life, depends on this life and doctrine. What else do we see in the, in the immediate context? Here I want to zoom into the idea of saving those that hear you. So we're going beyond just ourselves and benefiting ourselves from this. We're talking about salvation of others. The Greek word used here for hearers, nothing very complex in it, uh, akuantas, we get the word acoustics. From that, the English word, sounds, or hearers, those who hear. Now, who is a hearer? Who would that be? I suppose that's anyone you're speaking to. That's anyone Timothy would um, be presented with the opportunity to speak to. That is a hearer. And so everyone that hears you, that's how important this message is, this life and doctrine, this concept is, that salvation for the person who hears it, or salvation is dependent on a person giving this information to them. So that's anyone who listens to your instruction. Um, and that, I suppose, is a very responsible angle that Paul is taking. He's saying that this idea of life and doctrine, there is a responsibility that lies with Timothy to explain this to those who hear him. So that responsibility exists not only um, with him, a lot of people have taught, a lot of denominations have spoken about this idea, especially going back to um, the medieval times or the olden days, Middle Ages, where not everyone could read, right? Not everyone could write. And so there was a responsibility, a kind of like a lopsided responsibility, if you like, that fell on those who could read, the laity, the learned, and those that could not read, well, I suppose they just relaxed into that, not really having that responsibility of finding the truth, but rather being dependent on listening 
to those people who could deliver that message. But of course today, in modern times, we all have that responsibility. And so when Paul is charging Timothy about this idea of responsibility, of saving other people, he's not only talking about their lives are in his hands, but he's also talking about how he needs to convey this to other people that they too may take responsibility of their, of their own fate as well. Talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling as we see in Philippians chapter 2. The onus is on ourselves. The responsibility is on ourselves. All right. So yeah, we have this concept of life and doctrine. And its context talks about focus. We need to have a focus on it. There is diligence that we need to pay to this, this concept. There is persistence. And there is responsibility. So that's the immediate context. So what is that all pointing to? What is, what is life and doctrine? What does that mean? Now, life and doctrine is what I call a complementary concept. Now, to explain what complementary concept means is uh, we're talking about a concept where one, one component of it is inseparable from the other. All right? Totally inseparable. Life and doctrine. The one cannot exist or at least function properly without the other. This is what we call a complementary concept. Now, other examples we can have in the scriptures is hearts and minds. It talks about how we need to guard our hearts and minds. And I suppose we can have a look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Philippians 4, verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here are complementary concepts. Here where is where the one and the other are just as important. There's no point if you guard your hearts, but you don't in any way guard your minds. Right? That's not going to achieve, that's not a comprehensive guarding, is it, of yourself, if you only guard your heart and you neglect the other part of it. So they go together, and both are as important. Here's another one. When we worship God, we are told to worship him in spirit and in truth, one just as important as the other. Inseparable, they go together. And then we have faith and works, and I'm just going to list a few of the main kind of complementary concepts that we do see in Scripture. Faith and works. In the book of James, it's quite clear that faith is useless without works. It's useless. And of course, if we don't perform um, works, we can't show our faith. And if we don't have faith, we're not inspired to do further works. So those two concepts are inseparable. A couple of examples we can use. A lock and a key. Yeah, we have a key. Yeah, we have a lock. They're both useless on their own. 
But when you put them together, oh, this one's not going to open, is it? There we go. It's a very old lock. When you put the two together, they have a function and they have a use. I don't know if you ever had that horrible feeling where you, you've, got, uh, you've locked something up and you've got the lock there. Don't know where the key is. Right? Absolutely useless, the one without the other. Now you've got to angle ground the other one off. Uh, you're going to somehow um, get it separated so you can get to what lies, what it's locking up. So that concept is the concept here that I'm trying to get is that a lock and a key are inseparable. They go together. One is not, has no use without the other. Got another example here of a pestle and a mortar. And I must admit that I don't actually know the difference between the two. I don't know which one is the, the one that you put in and you do the crushing and which one is the bowl. And maybe some of you can explain that to me. But um, perhaps that's indicative, the fact that I don't know the difference between the two. Perhaps that's indicative of how I see both of them together as being important. Sure, you can use the one, um, the one, one you hold in your hand. You can use that to hit somebody with it, maybe, or you can use the, the other one to put your cornflakes in your milk in and use it. But by and large, it's not uh, useful unless the one exists and works with the other. Another example, a pair of scissors. Again. That's why it's used in the plural, because this is actually two objects. And there are two components to it. And again, the idea that one is useless without the other, at least in its proper designed uh, function. So these are complementary concepts. And now, life and doctrine is the same. It is also a complementary concept. And let's have a look why. All right, so I believe there is a balance that we should have in our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our daily lives, if you like. There's a balance that we should have, and it's healthy to have that balance. Um, but people tend to, when we talk of life and doctrine, and them understanding, first of all, understanding what the difference is between the two, um, people tend to, even beyond that, not lead balanced lives in terms of their life and their doctrine that they have seems to be very unbalanced in the sense that they have too much of one and not enough of the other. And that's the imbalance I'm talking about. It is only something that works if there's a balance between these two complementary concepts. Let's have a look at an imbalance that we see in Scripture about life and doctrines. So if we have a look at Matthew chapter 15, it talks there about Jesus now assessing the, uh, the Jewish leaders, you know, keeping in mind that he called them things like broods of vipers and hypocrites and things like that. And that's because they focused so much on their teachings. And some of them weren't even their own teachings. They were, weren't the teachings of God. They were their own teachings. And they focused so much on that, but at the same time, they neglected their own lives. Let's have a look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Typical imbalance that a lot of people have, not just back then, but in 
Today as well, you would also see that in churches too, where there's a focus on doctrines, but not so much focus on your own lives, your spiritual lives, on your, the part of your life that's supposed to be uh, inspired by what we see in the teachings of God. So there's an imbalance there, more to the side of doctrine. Let's have a look at another example. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Yeah, we have a picture painted by Paul as well of how in later times people will shift more of a focus on themselves. They'll see themselves as important. They'll see themselves as the center of the universe. They, are, they have that elevated status that they think of themselves. And yet, what suffers in the process? The true teachings and doctrines of God. As a result, to align the doctrines and teachings with their personal lives and their personal circumstances, what do they do? They pervert and they change and they alter those doctrines to suit themselves. See, here's another example of an imbalance in the opposite direction, a focus on their own lives, but not enough of a focus on the teachings and the doctrines of God. I don't know how you see it yourselves, but do you think, do you see one as more important than the other? Is there a particular reason why Paul uses life first and then doctrine second, is that supposed to be an order of importance? Of course not. Paul had to use one first and one second. You have to, to record these words down. You've got to mention one first and the other second, right? Or do we think that we need one and not the other? There are a lot of people out there that do. All right, so how do we achieve this balance of life, doctrine? How do we achieve that balance? So let's focus now on our lives, that first part. And I'm going to focus on that first because it's listed first, but for no other reason than that. All right, so we're talking about our lives. How do we have a good balance in our lives? What can we do? The first thing that we can learn, and we'll see that in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have to come to the realization if we want our lives aligned to God's word, that we need to put trust in God. We need to prostrate ourselves before God. We need to submit to him because only he can show the truth of the word to you. Only he can enrich your life if you submit to him. You can't do it under your own steam. You can't do it under your own capabilities. We need God for that and requires submitting ourselves to God. You will notice everything starts with a P. And there's obviously just an intention behind that that you can remember it easier maybe. The second part that we need to know about watching our lives is how we need to protect ourselves from the perils of the world that endanger 
our spiritual lives. Proverbs 4 verse 3. I love reading from Proverbs. So many wise sayings in there. And uh, quite often, when, uh, when Solomon wrote these Proverbs, he kind of like encapsulates a concept, if you like, in such few words. He says a lot in one verse, really nice and concise. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So there needs to be that watchful, watchfulness. And there are all sorts of things, all sorts of perils that there are that will in some way try to compromise the quality of life that we lead. And the third thing I'd like to focus on is how we should project ourselves as a good example to others. Now, there are certainly things that we should do in our lives that are private. Whether it's giving, we don't want people to see, oh, Graham put a whole lot of that colored note in, in, the, in the bag. Wow, I'm going to look at him. Wow, that's amazing. Or when we, uh, when we fast, we may want to get seen by people. Or when we pray, we sing pray long prayers so that we be noticed by people. Yeah, sure. There are certain things and elements about our spiritual beings, about the way we live our lives that are personal between us and God. But by and large, when we have a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it talks about the other side of this. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Another important concept when we talk about watching our lives is we need to watch what we do, what we say, because other people will look at our lives and hopefully they will see good in us. They'll see us doing good things, as it says here. We let our lights shine. We want people to see our lights shine. We don't want them to see darkness in us. So the best way we can watch our lives is to make sure that we set a good example for other people. Let's have a look at doctrines. How do we watch our doctrines? Again, they all start with a P. Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse three talks about um, the Greek word they use there is the tupos. The tupos is the word that indicates that the gospel and the message of Christ has a pattern in the sense that when we give that information and preach that message to other people, that pattern needs to be preserved in its form. It shouldn't change or be altered and tweaked according to our own preferences and desires. It needs to be preserved in that exact pattern. And the word they use, tupos, uh, it typically is used um, when they talk about a signet ring and it has uh, the emblem or whatever of the king and then when he uh, seals an, an envelope or a message with wax and he pushes that seal of the ring on there, it gives an identical image, if you like, of what's on that ring. And then you would know that that is from the king. So in the same way, if we give that pattern of teaching in an exact way to others, that way they'll know it is from God. So preservation of the pattern of teaching is one of the ways in which we can watch our doctrine. The second one is the propagation of the power 
of these teachings. So if we have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, um, that talks about how we have the responsibility to teach people like we were taught, and they in turn can be able to teach others. So there's this propagation of doctrines from one to the other. And so it continues, passing it on. And not only about the propagation of the message itself, because the words themselves mean nothing if we don't convey the power behind that message. And Romans chapter 1 verse 16 talks about, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, etc. So there's that power we need to propagate, otherwise there's no point. We have to convince people, we need to show people more than just words, but we need to show people the power that is contained in that message, in those doctrines, in those teachings. And the last time we have is, again, what we see in this very verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, is the idea behind persistence that we should have um, with a program of teaching. You know, we have a lot of, um, Quentin has put together a whole lot of programs that we have, what we study on Wednesday night, Sunday. Uh, it, it's all there designed to do a cross-section, if you like, of the teachings of God. And the more we study and the more we learn from God's word, the more um, we persist with learning God's word, um, the better for us, the better for our doctrine, doctrinal efforts. So in conclusion... If we were to do a self-evaluation of ourselves, the question would be, what kind of balance do you have in your life? What kind of balance do you have between the way you live your life and the instruction of God, the teachings of God? What balance do you have? Do you focus more on one and think, oh, we let the other, let somebody else do the other one? Is that what we have? When we think of our lives, we think of the various activities that we have within the church that help us to focus on our lives and to better our lives and to bring them more in line with God's expectations. We think of our prayer life. That is something that builds us and it builds our relationship with God. We think of our personal worship that we have. I know we all worship here together, but in between our ears there's a personal component to that worship, how personal is it? That determines just how well we've come to terms with preserving our life, our spiritual life. We have various ministries that we have that we dedicate our lives to because uh, we see our skills in that area and we give of ourselves, of our lives to promote those ministries. We think of a very personal kind of components um, that we have in our interactions with God. We talk about fasting and we talk about giving. That's a very personal thing. It's reflective of the lives that we live and what kind of people that we are. We think of fellowship that we have one with another and how we can share our lives and our experiences with each other in the form of fellowship. We think of mentoring. Very, very important. Very, very critical. How we should uh, show our lives, showcase our lives is probably the word I'm looking for, to other people so that we can mentor them and in some way help them help their lives. So when we talk about a focus on our doctrines, there's so many ways we can do that. 
as I mentioned, all the Bible studies that we have that have in some way have a focus on God's word throughout history and how it has a relevance and importance to us today. We have our Sunday school programs teaching kids from early on um, the ways of God and how they need to strengthen in their lives, in their doctrines as they get older and take more responsibility. Of course, we have our outreach programs as well that are just as important to convey that message in the exact way that God wants us to convey it out there and our gospel meetings. These are but some ways activities that we can use to strengthen our lives and our doctrines. What kind of balance do you have? I don't know if, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian watching out there. What kind of balance do you have in your life? What kind of balance do you have in your existence? What kind of balance do you have? I don't know how you would measure it. I don't know how you would say, right, I seem to be focusing more on the one side than the others. I don't know how you would recognize it. But the idea behind it is that we put a focus on both of those components that the one is not left behind. I want to thank you very much for your kind attention as we sing the song of invitation.